All right, so uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series. So the sermon series is really highlighting the connections between Moses and Jesus. Uh, this happens in particular in the Gospel of Matthew. The writer of Matthew is working to frame the pieces of Jesus' life, because we only get a few, of the 33 years of Jesus' life, we only get a few of these moments, right? And Matthew is highlighting these moments that clearly connect to Moses. Matthew's audience is like all of the Gospels have a slightly different audience, right? At least according to most biblical scholars. Matthew's audience is predominantly Jewish. Uh, so these would be people who either have been convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and they are now early Christians, or, and or, uh, Jews who are skeptical, who are uncertain of this Jesus guy. And so showing Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy, showing Jesus as the fulfillment of the law, connecting Jesus to Moses, I've been calling it like Moses 2.0, right, is beneficial, right? They understand Jesus in the context of Moses. This, this is moving for them, right? A second element of the whole series is uh, learning how to reframe our lives, learning how to embed our lives in the story of God, this larger grand narrative. Because stories are powerful. Humans are storytelling people. That's how we make sense of things, right? Um, if I understand where I come from, uh, I understand in part my identity, but how am I going to know that unless my family tells me stories, unless I understand my parents and their stories and where they came from and their struggles and my grandparents and my, right? This is in some sense how I understand where I come from. What have I inherited? Why am I like this, <laughs> right? Uh, stories make sense of our values. What is important? What should life be about? Uh, what's good? What isn't good? What does the good life look like? I, I can't understand that outside of actual lives, stories, seeing how it's lived out. I have to understand where I'm going, my future, right? So narratives are so powerful. I'm suggesting in part that when you say I'm Christian, you say, yes, Jesus is Lord, I am Christian, then your life becomes part of the story of God. We embed our lives in the story of God so now I have a sense of my beginning, and I have a sense of what life should be about, and I have a sense of the future of the kingdom breaking through, right? And I, ha I know then partly like what my life should be about, what matters and what doesn't, what I should care about and what I should let go. But it's really, really hard to frame my life in terms of the story of God because I'm surrounded, the air I breathe, the culture I'm a part of doesn't live into that story. It just doesn't. And so... It's really easy for me, and I assume most of us, to get distracted. And so I start telling myself alternative stories. I would call them lies. Uh, <laughs> our brains are actually really good at lying to us. But the song, right, uh, I want to hold on to you, but only the parts that are true. Only the parts that are true. I don't want to hold on to the junk, so uh, I'll, I'll say a little bit more about that. We'll put a pin in that. Um, so let's look at Jesus. Let's look at Moses. And then, I, and then at the end, I'm going to talk about how we might put our lives into this story, why this might matter for us uh, as Christians. 
So we talked about a few weeks ago, Moses, his birth, uh, Pharaoh, uh, you know, killing male Hebrew children, at least trying to, the midwives thwarting Pharaoh, Moses getting put down in the reed basket down the Nile, right, and eventually picked up by uh, Pharaoh's own daughter. And then Jesus, born, Herod, killing male children, two years and younger. Sound familiar? Herod, plot to kill Jesus, thwarted by the Magi, just like the midwives. Then Mo, uh, Joseph and Mary have to flee uh, to Egypt, where they find shelter, much like Moses did in Egypt. Um, we then talked about how, uh, how, do, how does Israel become the people of God in the story? They become the people of God through the water. They're slaves in Egypt, but then God leads them to the Red Sea, and they have no way. The Egyptian army's barreling down. The water's in front of them, and Israel has a choice. Do we go back and become the people of Pharaoh again? Or do we move forward where there seems to be no way forward and trust and become the people of God? And so they move forward through the water, and once they get on the other side of the Red Sea, they are no longer the people of Pharaoh. They are now the people of God, right? Um, Jesus becomes, says yes to his ministry, yes to the call of God, yes to the cross. The first indication we get of this is his baptism in the water by John the Baptist, very early on in the Gospel of Matthew. Drowned, this is what we do, right? Drowned in the water, up a new creation, now people of God, a new identity, a new story, a new narrative. So we become the people of God through the water. So today, what happens right after Israel gets through what they, they cross they're on the other side. The Egyptians destroyed in the waters. And it's like, now what? <laughs> okay, what, what are you supposed to do now? We got no resources. We're in the middle of the desert. We have no army. We have no structure. We have nothing, right? So we're going to pick Israel up in the desert. Do you know how long Israel wanders? 40 years, right? This is the very beginning of the wandering, the very beginning. Exodus 16, verses 1 through 3. Remember now, they were slaves for generations. They were delivered through miracles. The sea parted before them. They get to the other side, and they are so excited. Here is their response. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the Sin Desert which is located between Elam and Sinai. The whole Israelite community complained against Moses and Aaron in the desert. The Israelites said to them, Oh, how we wish that the Lord had just put us to death while we were still in the land of Egypt. There we could sit by the pots cooking meat and eat our fill of bread. Instead, you've brought us out into the desert to starve to death. The next chapter, Exodus 17, I'm going to jump ahead one chapter. The whole Israelite community broke camp and set out from the sin desert to continue their journey as the Lord had commanded. They set up their camp at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people argued with Moses and said, give us water. Moses said to them, why are you arguing with me? Why are you testing the Lord? But the people were very thirsty for water there and they complained to Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us, our children, and our livestock of thirst? They are delivered, and almost immediately, there is a change of heart. Like, we don't, where's our food? Where's our water? Maybe it would have been better just to go to Egypt. Uh, for those of you that watch Arrested Development, 
It's one of my favorite shows. This is akin to like when Job says, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> so in the show, he just will periodically say, I've made a terrible mistake. Israel now is like second thoughts. It would have been better back there. Now, I could lambast Israel. I could talk about how crazy they are for doing this. But all I really need to do is look in the mirror and say, and this is what I do. How good is my life? Uh, I just want us, like, for a minute to think about how good our lives are in comparison to any other time in human history in any other place in the world. We live as only kings lived in the past. We have so much. God has, I mean, people might argue, God has blessed with so much. And yet, I have a hard time seeing it. I give my allegiance to all sorts of things that are not God. I find myself in all kinds of issues, right? Grumbling, upset, frustrated, lost, scared, anxious. And here's the deal. I'm not going to come down hard on me either. I'm not going to come down hard on Israel, and I'm not going to come down hard on me, because you want to know something? It's really hard to be human. It's really hard. And this is how humans respond. It's impossible for us to be happy all the time. And in fact, if someone pretends to be, I don't trust them. It's impossible to be grateful all the time. It's we can't do it. So it's hard to be human. But what we can do is remind ourselves of what's real. When I get lost in lies, when I get caught up in stories that are not of God, I can remind myself, Joe, snap out of it, baby. Right? There's another way to frame this. And so Israel is scared and they're not sure what to do. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, and immediately, the very next verse, is led out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. See the parallel? It's pretty clear. I'm going to talk about those, and we're going to read that in just a minute, but I want to stop. Here's my question for you. This is your chance to share. Why is it that one of the first things that happens to me after a success like, I trusted God, I went through the Red Sea, I trusted God, I said yes to ministry, and I got baptized by John the Baptist, right? Why is it that right after that is often when I get tempted, when I am afraid, when I grumble like Israel or Jesus? Here's the deal. You're not allowed to say the devil. That's a cop-out. We're not going to blame the devil. What is it about me that makes it so easy for me to be tempted after a success? Does the question make sense? I mean, Israel has a major success, and they're, then they're immediately, like, regretting it. Jesus has a great success and is baptized and is immediately out in the desert getting tempted. Why? I mean, what do you think? I don't think there's one right answer. I'm just curious of what you think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want things to be easy. Joe Banker does. And when I say yes to God, I think there's an assumption that I did something good. Shouldn't it get easier? And instead, saying yes to God makes it harder. I mean, saying yes to God makes it more inconvenient, right? Because then all of a sudden, it's not about me, and I don't like it, right? So I think that's part of it, absolutely part of it. I'm surprised by the fact that saying yes to God messes my life up or something, right? There was another hand that went up, but I didn't see it. Yeah, Chris. <laughs> um, but 
when you say power, I mean, powers and principalities, what makes that so tempting for us? Like, what is it about me, about us, that, is, that makes those things so alluring? Okay, you have to say one, I want you to say one sentence more. I know where you're going, but. So, um, you think about uh, Israel, or you think about Jesus saying yes to God, and then they end up on the other side, and suddenly, something that I had no problem getting like food, something like a routine that even though I was a slave, Egypt provided, suddenly that's gone. How am I supposed to work with these other bozos to figure out food, right? I don't want to do that. This feels entirely different, so uncomfortable and inconvenient, I'd rather go back than forward, right? I thought there was a hand here. Uh, what do you mean when you say that? Yes, okay. Um, I'm going to, I don't know if this is quite, I mean, I don't know. This is how I interpret this. I want to be self-sufficient. God wants me to be God-sufficient. And that's a huge temptation. So, I can imagine God with the Israelites saying, haven't I provided for you so far? And yet what you want is to be able to control when you eat and when you drink and you don't want to trust. You want to be self-sufficient, not God-sufficient. Yeah, Wendy. Sure. I mean, look, I'll take, I'll take the miracle, but it feels very mysterious. And I mentioned this before prayers of the people. It's hard to know exactly when God's going to move or act. And it certainly is not something that humans can control. So I will absolutely take it when God acts and moves and drops manna from heaven. But in the absence of that, I'm going to have to look to God to figure out what does being faithful mean? What, 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 how do I play a part in that, Right. Um, how can God give me wisdom, strength, discernment so that I can be faithful in the midst of hardship, fear, anxiety, whether it's about food or water or lots of other stuff I worry about. Yeah, Viola. Yeah, it's awesome. Hmm.
Yeah, yeah, that, I appreciate that. I want to say two things. Thank you for sharing, by the way. So uh, there's a movie from the, it's like, it's old now. It's like in the 90s or whatever. It's called Devil's Advocate. But the movie has like Al Pacino playing the role of the devil. Uh, I, the movie itself is fine, but the end I really love because the protagonist, uh, Keanu Reeves actually, a young Keanu Reeves, um, he's like a lawyer and he's being tempted. And so the movie actually has two narratives. One, it goes down this whole path where Keanu Reeves fails. He totally succumbs to temptation. It goes terribly for him. But then it rewinds and it gives him a, chan a, a new chance to make a different choice, right? So the second time around, he avoids temptation. He succeeds, and it's great. But the very end of the movie, there's a journalist that wants to interview him. And they're like, you did something so great. How, I mean, wow, you are like sort of like, you're the hero. You did it. And uh, I want to interview you tomorrow. Like, everyone needs to hear this story. And he's kind of hesitant at first, like, well, this isn't really about me. But then he's like, okay, let's do it. And the very end is the journalist morphs back into Al Pacino. And it was like, ha-ha, as soon as you succeeded, I'm going to make this about you now, and you're going to be prideful. You're going to let your guard down, right? And it's, it was like this very interesting success follows temptation. But I want to say something else what, about what you shared. And I'm, I'm going to go from here, so I apologize if other of you have things to say, but... Um, why do I think temptation often follows our yes to God? It's because when I say yes to God, uh, God is taking me and moving my life onto a different track. God is saying, I want a different set of habits, patterns, behaviors. I want, I'm asking this of you, and you've said yes, that's wonderful. But by moving me from point A to point B, all of those other habits, all of those other patterns are calling me back. No, Joe, this will be better. Oh, like whether it's drugs and alcohol, right? Like you won't feel anything. We are the ones who really love you. It's those lies, right? You don't want to go into that different road, that new set of patterns that's foreign to you, that you haven't cultivated like new neural networks, new ways of thinking, new ways of being. And so it's so difficult to break free from that. So you can say yes, and it's like, I did it. But then immediately those old narratives want to just pull you back. Those old patterns want to suck you back in. It's so difficult. Expect it. Right? You want to know what makes it easier for me now that I'm 47? I just expect it. It's going to happen. I'm going to have second thoughts. I'm going to say, yeah, I'll be the pastor at Collister. And like literally two days later, I'll say, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> what am I doing? I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know what I, like, I just, can I just go back to having summers off? Can't I just go back to, like, two-day weekends? Can't I just go back? Like, it's an immediate sense of, like, this is going to screw everything up. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not the only one who feels that way, right? This is what saying yes to God is. This is what fostering looks like. This is what adopting, this is what like taking care of your grandkids during COVID. It's like, yes, I will do this. I will. And then it's like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Thank you for saying that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thank you. Of course, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Trust me. Uh, but it, like now it doesn't feel that way, right? It felt that way two months in, six months in. It doesn't feel that way now. It feels like, of course. But just expect it. You, you challenge, you grow, you move, and there's an immediate pullback, right? Everything about your life wants to set the temperature back to where it was. 
So like, it's like a thermostat and the heat just kicks on. It's like, nope, you're coming back to where you were. What are you doing up? And you have to say, I, I have to resist, right? So let's look at Jesus and how Jesus handles this and maybe it will help. I want you to see the parallels though. Through the water, into the desert, and tempted. Jesus baptized in the water, into the desert, and immediately tempted. And I want you to think about these temptations because they sound a lot like some of the temptations the Israelites faced. After Jesus' baptism, the Spirit led him into the wilderness that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. Hmm, that sounds familiar. The tempter came to him and said, Since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It is written, People won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. After that, the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him at the highest point of the temple, and he said to him, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down, for it is written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up into their hands so that you won't hit a foot on a stone. And Jesus replied, again it is written, don't test the Lord. Finally, the devil brought him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, I'll give all of these to you if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, go away, Satan, because it is written, you will worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil left him and angels came and took care of him. So, Jesus is hungry like the Israelites are hungry, and the devil does the same thing, right? You know what would be great, Jesus? Be self-sufficient. You can turn that rock into bread. You can do it yourself. You don't need anyone else, and you don't need God. Self-sufficiency, right? It's like an exertion of power. Feed yourself. The narrative the devil tells, right, is like the narrative I tell myself all the time. You don't need other people. It's messy to let people in. Why would you share your faults with other people? Do it yourself. Figure it out yourself, right? Like my desire for privacy, for isolation, for self-sufficiency is a lie. It's what keeps me stuck. Do you want to know where lies grow in the dark, in isolation, when you don't share them? Do you know where they die when they get exposed? Be self-sufficient, Jesus. Do it yourself. And Jesus responds, we don't live by bread alone, but on the word of God, right? I'm going to rely on God, not myself. It becomes God-centered, not self-centered. But here's the, here's the interesting point, right? There's a narrative that says, Joe, keep things to yourself. Figure it out on your own. No one needs to know your business. Don't share, which keeps me isolated. It keeps me from connecting to people. It, pe it keeps me from letting people into my life. I tell myself that story, and if that's the story that wins, I lose. But the story of God is a different story. The story of God is... But you don't live on bread alone. You live on every word that comes from God's mouth. You live in your dependence. You live in your faithfulness to God. So you become God-dependent, not self-dependent. And I think that this is how Jesus thwarts the devil. He takes the narrative the devil gives, and he reframes it with the narrative, the story of God. The second temptation is uh, go to the temple where everyone is. That's like the crowded area. Throw yourself down. Angels will save you. It's bigger than this, though. To me, this is about fame. This is about recognition. Jesus has some understanding of how his message is going to come across. I'm the Messiah. No one's going to believe him. He's going to die. But if I jump off the temple and angels save me and everyone sees it, 
Everyone will believe who I am. Everyone will know who I am. Of course I'm the Messiah. Did you see what happened? Did you hear about Jesus? This idea of recognition, of fame. Oh, what a temptation. Uh, to frame my life. What's important, Joe? What matters, Joe? What have you produced? What have you accomplished? What do people think of you? That's what matters. And I tell myself this. This is what you are worth, Joe. This is why you're important or why you matter. And so, of course, the devil has this temptation for Jesus. It's beautiful. It's genius. And, of course, Jesus reframes it with the story of God. I'm not here to test God. This isn't about me. This isn't about my glory or my fame. This is about service, right? This is about others. It's not about credit. And then the final temptation is really easy, right? I'll give you power. All the nations, power. And Jesus says, right, no to power. At every turn, no to power. No to self-sufficiency. No to military. No to politics. No to wealth. No to attractiveness. Jesus is powerless in every way a person can be powerless. No to power. No to power. No to power. It's about God. It's not about me. How can we... Ignore the narratives, the stories that we tell ourselves, that our culture tells us. It's about beauty. It's about wealth. It's about convenience. It's about luxury. How do we reject these things to find a way to reframe it so that we might embed ourselves in the story of God, that it's about love and community and vulnerability. It's about forgiveness and compassion and sharing. It's about saying yes to the God that created and sustains and will ultimately redeem all of the universe, right? That, I, that, that God might become greater and that Joe Bankard might become less. But man, I'll tell you, that is not easy. Because just when I do that for a day, I'm suddenly the next day tempted to say, I've made a terrible mistake. Just know what's going to happen and be graceful with yourself. You're human. It's really hard to be human. So what story do you tell yourself? Right? And how do you replace those stories with the story of God? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I am grateful that, uh, that you were tempted, that you considered those stories, that they were appealing to you because they are sure appealing to me. And I'm grateful that you were able to replace and reframe those with the story of God, with what is real, with what is good, with what is true. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom and the strength to do the same. Amen. If you would please stand for our closing song.